to the latest edition, I believe this is our 20th episode of the Boiler Upload Podcast, brought to you by Martin Vintage. Get the threads of history of Martin Vintage, like when Purdue could win NCAA tournament games. And also, we did find something that finally sucks more than driving to the airport, and that is losing to a 16 seed in the worst loss in NCAA tournament history. Fortunately, you don't have to deal with that with Reindeer Shuttle, as they will take you to the airport, either O'Hare or Indianapolis, right from campus, three stops on campus. They get you to the airport on time and ready to go. Leave the driving to them. With me tonight, of course, is Kyle Holderfield. How you doing, Kyle? Fantastic here in God's country, man. And we back from Columbus. <laughs> and back from Columbus, the poor man that had to watch that debacle in person, Casey Bartley. How you doing, Casey? My last two NCAA tournament experiences were Fairleigh Dickinson and St. Peter's. <laughs> two, and to throw in, like, on a personal level, losing a tournament is bad. It always sucks. Losing the first day of a weekend tournament is even worse. Yeah. I've got a hotel for another day. What am I? Am I just going to hang out in Columbus, Ohio? No, I am not. What? Just like. Yeah. I, I, I don't know, man. I, I think you froze, Casey. That's, that is what you can expect from me. All episode. I've gotten out. <laughs> out. I'm tapped out. I, I don't blame you. Um, I know seven days ago at this very moment, we were talking about the initial draw that Purdue had. And I believe your words, and I agreed with them, was the, I am not worried about Fairleigh Dickinson or Texas Southern. Let's talk about FAU or Memphis. Um, well. <laughs> I stand I, I, by that take. Um, I do too. I was right. Um, I've never been wrong. I, I was not it's worried it. either. All I, got. I, I was not worried either. And if we were to go play them again at this very second, start the score over, I'd still pick us by 20 points. But as I said, I absolutely would pick us by 20 points. No question. We can't shoot that poorly again. I have questions. My, my okay. first question is, if we cannot do that again, how have we done it? How has Purdue done it? Again, and again, and again, and again, and again. <laughs> I still don't think I still don't think it would have mattered. I I, I don't know. I, there's just too many wide open looks. I think a couple of the others go down, but I, I guess Travis. I don't know. I don't know. I, Fairly I, Dickinson came in as the third worst defense in the entire country, and we scored fifty eight points. That, that's scored 58 points. And that's got to be... And, and 5 of 26 I, shooting, 14 of 27 from inside. It's 16 it's, turnovers. Turn, turnovers, missed shots, horrific defense, uh, and then a ton of credit to Fairleigh Dickinson. I mean, they played like their hair was on fire from the very beginning. And the biggest thing that they did is they successfully drew Edie away from the basket on defense. And that opened everything up for him. And it was was that the most successful thing they did. (laughs) Yes. I don't think the offense wasn't the issue. Did Purdue play particularly inspired defense? No, they did not. Fairleigh Dickinson scored 63 points. 
Purdue should be able to put up more than 63 points against the third worst defense, a team that didn't even win the worst conference tournament in the entire country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's hard to break this game down in any logistical sense because like, we're past that, right? Mm-hmm. The, the national collective, the entire narrative, everything that we've been saying, all, all the good stuff about Matt Painter, it still exists. It just, so like, we weren't wrong there. No one that's a fan of Matt Painter is wrong there. Great guy. Great mind. Um, great with the press. Good quotes. Um, gets kids and they get better generally. But it turns out all those other voices, the bad ones, the saying the terrible things, turns out maybe they're not as wrong as we thought they were. Maybe those two dichotomies can exist in the same time. And I think that I is just, the reckoning that Purdue as a, culture as a sport as a team as a fan base kind of th- that's the problem when you have the worst loss of all time in the ncaa tournament i am as stringent a painter supporter as there is if you come at me right now come at me hard crimson quarry come talk to me i can't defend anything that happened there's just no longer a it's not a discourse anymore there is really one narrative purdue has lost to a 16 seed, a 15 seed, and a 13 seed in back-to-back-to-back tournaments. And struggled offensively in every single one of those matchups. Correct. And, and it's not just like like you know Casey said it's you know it's not really our defense and and these these small ball teams put something out there that just mess up everything that coach painter wants to accomplish offensively. And it's, and it's been pretty obvious. Like the proof is in the pudding. Like, you know, it's a, like Casey just said, a 13 seed, a 15 seed and a 16 seed. And it's like, you know, uh, everybody goes, Oh, well, St. Peter's, they, they were in the lead 18. I don't give a damn. We had a, we had a top five pick. And we have mm-hmm. Travion Williams. Who's going to find his way into the NBA. He's one of the best G league centers, you know, like questions should be asked. Uh, I don't know who answers them, whether it's just people bickering on Twitter or me bickering with myself, um, you know, but the, the proof is in the pudding at this point and, and it's, and it's not pretty. And I think it's pretty obvious that we lack athletes is our biggest hole right now. There's the, a 16 seed from New Jersey that has 2000 students had more athletes. than we did. I don't even think they were necessarily athletes. The, all three of these games had the same ending. You could watch the tape of the last 10 minutes of all three games, and they were exactly the same. Purdue gets tight on offense. They try to force it into the post too much because they have zero confidence in the three-point shooting, and the opposition is more than happy to work the clock for 25 or to 30 seconds of shot clock and run it down and either score or they've successfully taken away 25 to 30 seconds and that makes Purdue even tighter. North Texas did it, St. Peter's did it, and now Fairleigh Dickinson did it. And until Purdue finds a way to not get tight like that, it's gonna. this is just going to keep happening. And I don't understand how this is a team that didn't do that in the postseason. Look at what happened at, or in the regular season, I should say. Look at what happened at Ohio State. Look at what happened at Michigan State. Look at what happened at Wisconsin. They 
made the plays more often than not during the regular season to make it look like this wasn't going to be an issue. Even against... Big, I, Big Ten basketball is different. It is a slog, and everyone has systems, and everyone sticks to them. For good and bad. And in the conference, it's good, because Purdue's system is better. But you are right. There is a rigidity to running through the meat grinder of Purdue's offense that they can't seem to get out of, whether the players aren't willing, whether it's coaching that's instructing, hey, beat the press and then go into your things. I think everyone there is watching as Purdue. Honestly, it wasn't the press. The press wasn't the issue. One turn. Purdue got through it. Got through it a lot. Yeah. And there were. Yeah. But they didn't attack time. off of it. Yeah. They didn't attack off of it because they had every opportunity. The one stretch where Purdue played well, they, I think it was that 10 over run, they go up by six. It's because they were attacking the press and going straight at the basket. And, and as soon as they, they went away from that. They couldn't because when they broke the press, and usually it was Gillis or Morton, instead of having a two-on-one, because there were two Purdue players and one defender, that two-on-one is Edie standing in the post being guarded one-on-one. So the basket's no longer there. And then you're relying on either a pull-up jumper or a contested shot because the guy's already at the rim. I think there's some creativity that has to kind of go in your head and go, hey, they're doing this. Mm-hmm. Guess what? We have a Caleb first. Purdue has a Mason Gillis. We can go big while still keeping separated, while still dominating the glass, being a little better on defense. You don't want to take ED. None of this is on Edie. Edie no. had 21 and 15, two turnovers. This wasn't St. Peter's. He didn't have five turnovers. He got his points. He got his rebounds. But I think I saw no field goal attempts in the last eight minutes for Edie. A lot I of couldn't get him the ball. You know, fouls. But yeah, if we're not, if Purdue's not going to give him the ball, if they are going to mess it up in this way, at some point through three years of this, Purdue has to at least be willing to try something else which I think we can all say we haven't really ever seen. The the most success I felt like in the second half came from when guys started cutting to the basket and not just sitting around the three-point line. I think Mason Gillis cut a couple times to the basket, um, maybe even Fletcher at one point. And and we can sit outside the three-point line and go four out with our big seven-foot-four, 300-pound national player of the year, maybe now, after losing. And we can try to get it into him. But it's like if it's not there, it's not there. You got to try something else. The definition of insanity, and everybody knows this, is doing the same thing over and over and over again, and never changing a damn thing. And we have seen this same storyline for three years, and it culminated on Friday night. I mean, that it's frustrating. I think what hurts the most about it is is we've seen the storyline for three years. But we've had a different type of team each year. They, you know, you want that big NBA guard to be there in March to carry you. And we had that last year. And as it turns out, Jaden Ivey had probably the worst game of his career at the worst time. And I'm convinced that if Ivey has his regular game, Purdue wins that convincingly. So that, and then, that kind of touches on what happens here, right? Braden Smith has his worst game of the season. That's why I thought Purdue was immune to this. Because I thought Braden Smith had gotten over the wall and was playing his best basketball. Seven but you shouldn't. Turnovers. Oh, it, it's go. fairly freaking Dickinson. You shouldn't have to need 
a freshman point guard to avoid his worst pregame of the season. I mean, I, I, I can't put this on just one guy. When the so he's it's it's it is on one guy though because Braden Smith is the only creativity in Purdue's offense. At, at times, Fletcher had it. He had it at Michigan State. Hasn't had it since. Well, he's good against Nebraska and Michigan State. And then struggled through the Big Ten. But passing, playmaking, dribbling, that's Braden Smith. He does it. This game was entirely, Painter clearly thought that if Edie couldn't get the ball, the high pick and roll with Edie and Smith would create enough for other people. You could argue it did when it comes to open three-point shots. Mm-hmm. But seven points from Braden Smith, two of ten shooting, seven turnovers. That's not good enough. You, you, you can tell me that Purdue didn't do enough or get some variance to help Braden Smith, but Painter thought and trusted that Braden Smith would be enough to break this, and he clearly was not up to the task in his first NCAA tournament. And it's, and again, it shouldn't have come to that. I don't, it, I don't disagree with that. It, it shouldn't I, have come to that. I mean, but everybody. this roster, everyone knew that going into the season, even best case scenario of Braden Smith, which we got, Purdue got the best case scenario of Braden Smith this season overall. Mm-hmm. Purdue lacked a secondary playmaker. Ethan Morton, we hoped, could take more of that role. Turns out, not really. Not yet. Not with the way it is. Um, you, you, I'm still going to root. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to still like bet my chips that he'll eventually turn into something. But we're running out of time on that. And there's a reason why we went after Peck so hard. There's a reason why Purdue was in, in the transfer portal for a point guard. David Jenkins... Amazing guy, amazing teammate, great shooter, not someone that is going to help create. And he couldn't get his shot to fall. 11 points shy of 2000, and he was 0 for 3. After lighting the Big Ten tournament on fire, he didn't have it. And just, you, you look through the roster, no one had it. No one. I see, there is one stat line when you look at the box score, that makes no sense to me. Caleb first, who I thought this would be a game for him. And he had four points on two of two shooting, one offensive rebound, one defensive rebound, one assist, no turnovers. He played nine minutes. Yep. That is astounding to me. Because, Casey, I, we were on the same page with that. Yep. The, the nine minutes for Caleb first in, in a – in a winner-go-home type game where you need athletes on the floor. And you could argue that Caleb First is the most athletic player on the team. Absolutely. He runs like a gazelle. He runs up and yep. down the floor. He, he he plays solid defense. He's 6'10", 6'11", and he plays nine minutes. Yep. Like, I just felt like he should have been there. And he's and he is our best cutter to the basket. Yep. I mean, That's how he got both baskets. We, we saw it multiple times throughout the entire year where he's back cutting and we're finding over the top Zach Eady for, for a backside dunk. How did Purdue beat Duke? It was a whole lot of Caleb first. Absolutely. And 
there's just nine minutes. And I, I, I couldn't believe that. And it was solely because it was a get the ball to Edie or chuck up a three-point shot, apparently. That nobody, and Gillis goes one of seven. That nobody <laughs> wanted to shoot. Like late in the game, you could just see them. They're, they're not even ready to shoot. They're just grabbing it and just looking in. They're, if you want to be a shooter, then off, off the swing, you better, you better be ready to shoot. If not, what's the point? I, I will say, Fletcher never looked like someone that didn't want to shoot. No. You could argue that's not great with the way he's shooting. He ended at three of eight. Um, that's pretty much Rick Mount numbers compared to everyone else. <laughs> he's three of eight. The rest of the team is two, two of 18. That's not going to get it done. So it, it it's weird because Painter is both right and wrong at the same time, right? Because in theory, his advanced metrics work. Purdue got better shots. Those threes should go in. But at some point, you have to have something else. And you can't keep losing. At some point, the results become the results. Mm-hmm. In three games in a row, the results are a smaller team, outplays, outhustles, outtuffs, while not, it is more difficult for Purdue to play worse teams than it is for worse teams to play Purdue. And that should not be the case. And a part of that is because the consistency of Matt Painter works against Matt Painter. Because everyone knows what's coming and they can game plan against a, a system that is incredibly consistent. And when it's working, it works well and it nobody can defend it. But if it's not working... That's how it works in November, itself. It works in November when it's not life or death. When a team doesn't have to completely sell out to stop things. It worked as recently as last week when they won the Big Ten tournament. Yeah. Against Big the Big Ten. Ten. I, 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 don't, I don't think... I think Big Ten basketball at this point is a worthless... Just a worthless measure stick for Purdue. Everyone knows that Matt Painter can win in the Big Ten. And he hasn't. He's lost outside of the tournament, though. He's been undefeated and in the non-conference. I think he's got like a twenty-five game win streak in the non-conference outside of the NCAA's. So he could do it in November, like you said. It just—I don't know. I, I don't know at this point, and it's getting worse. It is really getting worse. What everybody talks about how complex Coach Painter's playbook is, and and. and to the naked eye, I think, you know, people that don't really dive into it, like, it just it just looks like we're just feeding the post. But all the complexities are built single-handedly around the post. And in this year, other than, you know, like with Ivy and Carson, obviously, like, those are outliers. But, like, this year, it's built around the post, and, and there was nothing really for the perimeter guys. Obviously, they had sets for guys when they're getting streaky, but there's nothing to just get Braden Smith going other than a Pretty best. Yeah, Purdue's best offense is the Carson Edwards team. And it's because there was Carson Edwards and Ryan Klein there. So all of a sudden, all this action is equally dangerous on both ends of the, like both sides of the court. So all of a sudden, that court is super expanded. And the middle's open because Matt Harms is there and you have to protect that. And like, I, I think that's the lesson. And it's a little disappointing that Matt wants to play inside out. And I get that, but 
he lucked into having his most successful team by not having a true big hog up the minutes at all times. And instead, having dynamic scores that can score off the ball in multiple ways and with the ball. And it's just weird to me. There, There's a balance, obviously, but like, it's weird to me that and maybe it's just that he hasn't been able to get those guys again. I mean, I mean, Carson is a once in a lifetime, like diamond in the rough. Then again, Jay Nevin, Ivy was, but it, I don't know. It's, I have, I have a lot more doubts about if inside out can work in the tournament. We're in the, the era of basketball is completely changing. When Matt took over and what, 18 years ago now, Mm-hmm. We, we were too small. Okay? Right. So we started recruiting bigger, longer, lengthier guys. And, you know, by the time he caught up to the size issue, which was eventually, you know, Juwan Johnson, obviously, but he was more of a stretch five. And when he caught up to the size issue, it was, what, 2016 with Isaac Haas? Mm-hmm. Like, really? I mean, truthfully. And at that point, basketball was transitioning from big men to quick guards. Like you don't you don't see guys like Isaac Haas. Like Isaac Haas hasn't stuck in the NBA, right? He was one of our most dominant post scores that we've ever had. Like you just don't see that. And if, if it's not transitioning to the NBA, one, it's hard to sell your brand of basketball to good guards. Two, I think it's hard to win games against other teams with good guards. <laughs> I mean that's what it comes down to. So to a man, like to yourself, this this is it's it's a flabbergasting question because I think I know what my answer is and it's it's alarming. But when you think about next season, what offense excites you more? One with Caleb First, Mason Gillis, Drake Hoffman, and Berg, or one with the national player of the year coming back? What seems more dynamic to you? Right. I've 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 been I was talking about this to my father in law today. I was like, I love Zach Geedy. I'm one of the biggest Zach Eady fans of all time. He might, he could still win the national player of the year, but mm-hmm. I'm intrigued by the thought of Caleb first running up and down the middle of the court as a five. And he shoots the ball well enough from the outside to where if he goes to the corner, he's going to have, they're going to have to respect him. And then all of a sudden you have true freshman, Miles Colvin cutting to the basket one-on-one. Camden Heidi, six, yeah. seven. Heidi, who's a freak athlete. All, all he does is shoot threes and try to dunk on people. I love that. Those are my favorite things in basketball. Give me a lot of it. Yeah, I'm, I I love Edie. Obviously, if he wants to come back, you don't tell him no. But the, no, yeah, yeah. the opportunity of having an offense that could be somewhat similar to that Elite Eight run where you have a center that can shoot a 15-foot jump shot on, on a regular basis mm-hmm. and then even stretch it to a three-point shot when needed and then you have wings that can cut, and you have Mason Gillis who can spot up. I mean. And I don't think any of us here, obviously Fletcher's play late in the season was disappointing. This last game is disappointing for Braden Smith. But none of us here think they're not going to get better, right? Right. Like, right. The fact they were this good for a whole season as true freshmen, the, the future of the backcourt looks pretty good. You, you match it up with some athletes around them, which you kind of do – just by, you know, adding first, playing more minutes. And Trey, you have to assume his body's going to get a little better. I thought towards the end of the season, he looked a lot more mobile than the start. Mm-hmm. I thought his defense was a lot better. 
And if you can add that to his game, he's Trey Kaufman Wren is maybe the X factor here because he kind of blends the best of both worlds. If he can get a steady jump shot, he can already move better on the outside, obviously. And he can also take advantage of post mismatches. But he's a guy that more so than just finding him in the post, get him setting screens, make that switch. Because when a big like that can move more, you kind of have to switch more. So all of a sudden, get that switch to where Braden's got a big guy on him. Trey's got the small guy. Now you have a better option everywhere else. So I don't like the discussion because I don't think Zach Eady did a damn thing wrong all season. Um, best player in the country by far. Just it, it seems almost like when you get to tournament time, if you're going to have a freak like that, you better have four stud athletes around him. And that's the only way it could work. Not ball watchers. Yep. Or, <laughs> or Chaos. solid shooters. Like, or shooters. you got to have consistent shooters. Fairleigh Dickinson created chaos. St. Peter's created chaos. North Texas created chaos. Teams that win in March, upsets especially, they have the bodies and the people and the speed and the quickness to create chaos. Purdue does not handle chaos well. No. And I think that's what... I didn't think it would come at the hands of Fairleigh Dickinson, but you saw that. I think it was... Uh, uh, one of our one of us said that you saw that since the India the first Indiana game, where you saw this coming, and Purdue hadn't shot the ball well, and they managed to survive a couple of runs by Iowa and by uh, by Penn State in the Big Ten tournament, and they they survived a few games, Illinois, but like you said, they didn't thrive on chaos and. I think that I think that's where it also goes back to just they freeze up because they don't have that athleticism. They they don't know what to do when they can't make that move or anything. And it's hard to say where this goes from here if Edie comes back because you're going to have a couple more guys now that you're trying to work in minutes and that makes the minutes balance that much stranger. I mean, I is Will Bird going to first comes Edie back? If if Edie comes back, I can't imagine the defensive rotation. All those guys are going to stay. I personally, I I don't, I don't think Trey, Caleb, Mason, any of them are going to want to exist in a world where they're catching single digit minutes most of the season again. I don't know why they would. That's that's no inside reporting. They, none of them have said a wrong word all year it's just you only get four years of college why why if you're that talented are you gonna do it from the bench mm-hmm. you, can't, so, you, like you can't say because it works <laughs> so i guess that brings us to the big question what do you think does he come back i think if he was he wants to come back. And the fact that he wants to so bad, he said it after the game. If it wasn't about my family or money, it would be a no brainer to come back. If, if they were at all close to where he could come back and feel good about it, I think he would have already said it. That's just projecting. 
because he loves Purdue, loves being there, loves those guys. They're a super tight unit. He loves playing basketball there, but the truth is, he's seven foot four, 300 pounds, taking a beating every night. He's not going to be playing when he's 35. He's got maybe five years to bank on. And right now he's projected as a second round pick. I uh, just went into NBA draft.net. They got him going second round to Oklahoma city. And that's not even a guaranteed contract. And well, it's not that simple anymore. They, they're happy to guarantee second round contracts. Yeah, it is. They, they've changed that in the last couple of years. The Pacers guaranteed a, a second rounder last year, I believe. Cause even guaranteed money, like those are great. It's, it's worth the lottery ticket to see him for multiple years. So he can go. The thing is, and I'm with Casey on this. I think he's, you know, his longevity at his size and the way that the NBA is trending in the first place, it's, it's, it's probably a short career. And to boot is if he goes and tests the waters and Oklahoma city, like you said, is projected on a mock draft. And they say, Hey, we're going to have a, 42nd overall pick. That's second round, but we're going to take you if you're there. If you're Zach Eady, go. Like, you know you're guaranteed to be drafted. Like, you take that chance. And especially if they say, hey, if we draft you, like, in the second round, we're going to guarantee you this contract. I mean, you go. Uh, regardless. And, you know, it, obviously, like, for Carson – Somehow, I don't understand still how he didn't work out in the NBA with how much they need shooters and streaky shooters off the bench. But you play for a couple of years, and if you have to go overseas and try to come back, that's that's what you do. But Juwan Johnson had a very good career in Turkey. Made a lot of money. Made a lot of money. Won trophies. Okay. Second question, then. Suppose Edie does leave for the NBA. Do we see another year like this year where inexplicably Purdue loses its best guy and is a better overall team because of everything that you guys have said about first, about Gillis, about Berg, everything? Is Purdue a better team if Edie leaves, which is crazy to think about, I know. I mean, at this point, you mean they make the second round? Yeah. Are we gauging off a wins or loss? <laughs> Are we gauging off a wins and losses or... How do I think they'll be as good in the Big Ten next year? No. Will they do better in the tournament? Absolutely. You have to hope. I mean, it's hard to bet. do worse. <laughs> no, it's, it's impossible. They will not. They will not have the worst loss in the history of the NCAA tournament next year. I'm fairly confident. Because <laughs> I don't think they'll be a team worse I mean, than Fairly Dickinson in the tournament next year or ever again. Ever again. I mean, they didn't win the tournament. They're there because of a bullcrap rule. Yeah. So, so no, yeah. But I, will they be more dynamic? Possibly. Probably. Is Miles Colvin legit? And the only reason we have to really question that is because whatever that high school program was that he was in at Heritage Christian, no one has any idea. He had a wasted senior year. In, in terms of for us. Whatever he got out of it, whatever, fine. But he is a bona fide stud. He is 
a different athlete than Jaden Ivey. Not as quick, but more powerful and explosive probably, just vertically, and can shoot better. I like that. I like that a lot. And if you're mixing them with a really dynamic, good group of bigs, while Fletcher and Braden get better, does Ethan and – I have a hard time believing Ethan would leave. But does Brandon stick around? Do they find a point guard backup in the portal? These are these are all things that are going to have to like be worked out. Is it possible? It absolutely is possible. Matt Painter has done such a good job with this team and roster building that we all were more excited about next year, even with the one seed here. It's just, is it going to pay off in March? And what kind of big change do we need to see to believe that? And nothing's going to... Nothing is going to matter until they get into the first round and don't, they need to blow out their first round opponent next year. Blow them out, out of the world. Well, we, we did last year. We blew out Yale. I mean, I think a lot of people forget so, that we did at least win two tournament games last year. Yes, but what kind of teams did they beat? They beat Yale, a slow orchestrated offense without a bunch of small athletes. It's, it's a, there is one stereotype, like one archetype of team that, that Purdue has problems with. And it's enough to be like, that's not a big issue because it only happened twice. Now it's happened three times in a row. And we all got to see Rutgers do the same thing. We got mm-hmm. to see Nebraska do the same thing and almost beat them at home. So it's just like the archetype is out there. There is finally a blueprint. Like it, it's enough now. Three straight tournaments. There is a blueprint. All season, everyone's like, oh, there's a blueprint for Purdue. And you're just like, they lost five times. There's no blueprint. Guess what? Three straight tournament losses to double digits. There's a blueprint. It's very big. It's public. It's free. You can look at it. <laughs> I, Start 5'8 guards. I, I firmly believe that the selection committee knew. Hates, hates Purdue. They, one, they hate Purdue. Two, hate they 100% knew that. This quick little scrappy ass team from New Jersey that's not even supposed to be there, that's going to play fast as hell, is going to be this. They they totally knew that it would give us fits and get us out of where we needed to be. I I firmly believe it. I'm not even like lying about that. Like conspiracy. And Texas Southern would have done the same damn thing. Like they probably don't beat us, but they would have given us fits early on for sure. Like. As we're saying this right I'm now, I'm going to counterpoint. Fairly I'm going to it's up 52-51 with 940 over Florida Atlantic. So maybe I'm, I'm, this is I'm, wild. I'm still going to counterpoint here. It's fairly freaking Dickinson. Absolutely. They are winning the second round matchup right now. What is happening? I don't care. At some point, at some point, you just have to go out and lay the smack down on a team. And we never saw Purdue shift into that gear except for a brief stretch of the second half. A very brief stretch of the second half. They built a six-point lead. They were taking control of the game. And in 90 seconds, they let Fairley Dickinson reset the tempo. Fairley Dickinson controlled the whole game. The whole game. And even in, you know, the quote-unquote blueprint, the, the five games they lost, that didn't happen. 
And there were plenty of other games that Purdue nearly lost. There were plenty of other games that Purdue nearly lost. Illinois, North or Nebraska, um, at Ohio State, at Michigan State. You know, this team was, you know, very, very good in close games. But at some point, you just have to shake yourself and be like, come on, guys, it is barely Dickinson. <laughs> the worst part of all that, Travis, is their head coach said after their game, they, he called us out. He literally said, yeah, I think we can beat them. And there wasn't an ounce of gumption on that court Friday night, in my opinion. Like, no. Like, there's nobody that took that to heart and said, you know what? F this guy. We're going to win by 25. Right? Like, like there has to be a little bit of, like, a competitive spirit. Like, where if, if someone is going to say, yeah, you know what? I can beat you, especially when I know I'm going to be an underdog. Why don't you? You got to come out with a little bit of attitude, a little bit of fire, and say, "No, no, 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 that's not going to happen." But to me, it just looked like we were like, "Yeah, you know what? We'll win. We don't care if we win by one or we will win by twenty-five. You know." But it just didn't seem like it hit home. And Matt Painter is the nicest guy on the planet, but when when he said, "You know, oh yeah, we saw the reports," he had an opportunity there, in my opinion, to say something. Yeah, we saw the reports. The guys know, and we're going to take care of business. Get them fired up. Say something that's going to get them going a little bit. But I, I digress. I mean, wait, I, wait. There wasn't a magic speech that changes that. I'm drinking a juice box. Jenkins said after the game that pretty much he don't take he doesn't think they took them seriously enough. They didn't. It was clear. It was very clear, and I don't think that it really got to them until late in the first half when they went ahead with about a minute to go before halftime. And I think that's the first time everybody was kind of like, okay, these guys are serious. And from that point on, that just allowed the North Texas St. Peter's script to repeat itself. And it's just, I think one thing, if, if there's anything that good that can come out of this, anything at all that can come out of this, it's good. No. It's that you've got that bulletin board in the back now of, okay, no, no. you can lose if that anything. Was enough, if that wasn't, no, there is nothing good that comes from this loss. I, I think that's the thing that like everyone needs to be honest about, like the dialogue. There's no good that comes from getting beat by a 16 seed. It, no. less than 2,000 students. Yeah, there, there's... Because if that were true, a team that lost to a 15 seed to uh, be kept out of the Elite Eight um, and to play a busted bracket to get into the Final Four, they wouldn't have lost and taken uh, it easy against a 16 seed. But at least that 15 seed had won two games to get there. At least they had won twice to get there. Nope. Nope. We had a top five pick. Yeah, I don't know. No. We Zach Eady was on that team. Trevon Williams was on that team. Jay Ivey was on that team. Sasha Stefanovic was on that team. There were a lot of seniors on that team. That was a good bye season for a lot of people. That uh, there, it, it clearly did not carry over. <laughs> All right. Well, I think uh, I, I think that's a good time to start wrapping up here. And uh, I, I'll just do one more question to wrap it up. Go to you first, Kyle. Where do we go from here? I mean, <laughs> what, what do you do? What do you? What do we do? 
you, you, I mean, you, I think the first thing you do is one, obviously you got to rewatch whatever just happened. And then you got to rewatch the St. Peter's game. And then you got to rewatch the North Texas game. And you got to decide when the selection committee next year inevitably puts us against this chaotic, small school, small ball team. What the hell do we do? And I don't give a damn about us 26 Big Ten championship. I could care less. I don't even care if we ever win another Big Ten title ever again, as long as we have some more success in March. John Beeline, in nine seasons at Michigan, I think it's nine, he won two Big Ten championships. But he reached the final four, I think, two times, Elite Eight, three times, Sweet 16, five times. And people remember him as a great coach in March. They don't care that he never won. He didn't win the Big Ten title five out of the nine years he was there. So I think you got to figure it out. And um, I want to see more success in March. And again, like I said, I the Big Ten title and the Big Ten tournament title were great. Those were awesome. But after you lose to a 16 seed, it doesn't matter anymore. I could care less that it was the 25th. I'm glad I didn't buy a T-shirt. That's how I feel. <laughs> All right, Casey, how, how about you? You're usually more level-headed, but I actually saw you in person last night at Jack Benter's game, and uh, even you were shell-shocked. So that that's where <laughs> that's when I knew this was serious. No, yeah, I, it, it's not a shot on anyone. That That's embarrassing. It is embarrassing to lose to that team. And I think the number one thing has to be that I want to see is that Matt Planer doesn't just say we got good looks. I I do the same thing over again. I think there has to be a fundamental shift. I'm not saying crazy overreaction, but there is something to the chaos, the athleticism, the bringing it to other teams. I think if anything on the defensive end, Purdue does not, not trying to foul, as your main defensive philosophy doesn't work. I think you're giving other teams an edge. Mm-hmm. I want to see that. I, I'm i still mostly okay with our offense. I, I think the shooters will be better. I think they will get better. I think there's more work that needs to be done on developing shooters and making sure they don't level out. Um, I'm not, I, I'm not impressed that Ethan Morton's shooting mechanics are the same. I, I feel like that hasn't, they put the work in. Absolutely, with managers and stuff, but I, I think it needs to go a level further. But I want to see Purdue take it two teams, and I think that starts on the defensive end. If we're gonna, if Purdue's gonna be that deep, don't give a shit about fouls. Mm-hmm. Make the other team work hard. Make the refs call the fouls. You've mm-hmm. seen time and time again that if you're the more aggressive team, you're gonna get the benefit of the whistle. So it's time Purdue starts to play that way. Be an agent of chaos, at least on that end, and run the pretty stuff on offense. That's fine. But you have to be able to bring it on the other end. Hard to do when you're in drop coverage with Edie. I get that. But it's like Purdue needs to take it to teams. If you want to be a number one seed, you have to look like a number one seed. And that's not teams that just carefully craft and get through and then, well, we gave up open mid-range shots because those are good. If Hood Chavino is going to go off for 30, he better start just – Someone better be in his pocket after 15. Mm-hmm. Foul out. That's fine. You have enough bodies there at this point. Go right. through them. Use them. Athleticism, strength, that that all stuff matters. Like you can't just your defense philosophy can't just be about protecting. 
And that's kind of feels like what's happened. So like take it two teams. I want to see that. I want to, I want to see this team be physical, not just because you have a seven, four guy, the physicality should go everywhere. Not just mm-hmm. hustling on offensive rebounds. So that's what I want to see. I, I'm with you. I am with you. And I think one thing that we have seen in the past is I think Matt Painter is a very, very good macro level changer, changer, if that's even a word or a phrase, because he has shown that he can adapt on a larger level. He wanted shooters. He went out and recruited shooters. He wanted bigs to develop. He went out and recruited bigs to develop. He develops guys. And it's now, I think he can see what's there. He's smart enough to see what's there. He's paid several million dollars to see what the issue is right now. And it's up to him to fix it. I mean, we can talk about it all we want to here, but he's the one that's got to fix it. He will be at Purdue for quite a while longer. I mean, whether he's not going to be fired and as much as some people out there want him to be fired, it's not going to happen. But this is what he's getting paid for now. He knows, like you said, this has happened three times in a row. It's time to make that adjustment. And I'm hoping he can see it. Because I'm with Kyle. I'm tired of having Big Ten success and doing diddle squat in the tournament. I'm 43 years old. They have not made a Final Four since I was six months old. This is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. But that's enough ranting. We've gone on for about 45 minutes. I'm sure you've heard enough enough of us grousing about this. uh, Because we could probably go for another 45. Um, Pass. Pass, yeah. Definitely. So uh, we will now shift into off-season mode. We do thank you for listening to us, for getting it through our first season. Uh, we were kind of thrown into the fire back in November, but we're coming along nicely, and uh, better days are ahead because, really, it cannot get much worse than it was Friday night. So for Casey and for Kyle, I am Travis Miller of Boiler Upload, and we thank you for listening. Boiler Up. Boiler Up.